Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, good friend of the program, Dieter Kurtenbach, is here. Hi, uh, Sam. In addition to that, it's a video podcast, so I'm looking at Dieter. This will be posted online on YouTube. Go to CLNS's channel. Uh, I should be promoting that more, I feel like, than I yeah. do. So, You're doing a real crappy job of promoting it. Yeah, I can see you. I feel like no one knows that that is a thing that happens, but hey. They might, they might know, but uh, decline to think about it too hard. Oh, that is probably smart on their part. But <laughs> uh, I appreciate all of the listeners nonetheless. Uh, on this episode of the Game Theory Podcast, we're going to talk uh, about the Trevor Ariza trade that didn't happen, the trade that did happen, <laughs> uh, Spencer Dinwiddie getting an extension, which happened like an hour after Dieter and I finished podcasting last week. Yeah, uh, and we talked about Spencer Dinwiddie on that podcast for a split second. It was legit like kind of funny, like – we talked about him, and then it's just like, yeah, he, yeah, it's, it's insane. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to do a deep dive a little bit on the Nuggets because they're really good. They keep winning. They look like a legit top three seed in the Western Conference. I think that they're number one right now, is where we're they going. are. So we're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about the Sixers' depth issues, which is something that, like, I kind of called out uh, immediately after the Jimmy Butler deal as something that worried me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll see where that goes from here. And then we're going to get into things that uh, we like. But before we do all of that, we got to talk about Dieter's good friend. <laughs> the man, the man who friend. ghosted me in person. <laughs> the man who ghosted Dieter in person, Skip Bayless himself. Shout yeah. out to Skip. I, I had no problem with Skip. Good for good for this dude making He's, his money. I'm here for it. I, I don't even know if I have a problem with him. It was just so brazen. It is. It takes it takes some real uh, real ingeniousness to ghost a person <laughs> in person. I feel like. Yeah. No, you know what? I take it back. I hold a grudge. You hold a grudge? Oh, come on. That was rude. That was rude. Everything is expectations versus reality, right? And I had no expectations of anything positive except for when he brought it up. I mean, I don't need to rehash the whole story, but it was ridiculous. He's, it was like, is this how you treat people? This is, this is weird. It's, it's not so much insulting. It's just weird. So I want to... Um... I want to direct people to a GQ article uh, where they interviewed Skip Ellis about his diet, his exercise regimen. By the way, like impressive dude. Oh, no. Yeah. And this is this is something that comes out like once a year where it's like he only eats chicken and broccoli, no sauce. And he wakes up at 3 a.m. and works out. And then he works out like four more times after that. Like, dude's ripped. He could kick my ass. Yeah, no, like genuinely Skip. We're not we're not talking shit about Skip for this. But no, what we are going to laugh at is this quote. Question, do you truly believe in your heart of hearts you could outrun any professional athlete who challenged you to a distance race? Skip, what are we talking about with distance? Can we do my eight miles? Yeah, sure. I always think of LeBron since he's the guy we talk about the most, or Tom Brady. I'm going to go top of the food chain with both of them. I definitely could outrun those two for eight miles. I would do it for any amount of money. I still run pretty fat, pretty well. I'm pretty fast. My eighth mile is usually around 6.30. The other miles will be more around 7.30 to 8. Let's take LeBron. It's six foot nine, 260 pounds. It's just physics. It's too many pounds to carry over a distance. I'd do it tomorrow. What, what, what a move here by Skip. Just, he, okay, let, let's, 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 let's parse this down. One, um, again, and- respect to Skip, the athlete, because that dude, I've seen him in person. Yeah, Good for him, man. That guy is sixty years old, and he is in incredible shape. <laughs> um, 
No one is coming to Tom Brady's defense on this, by the way. I actually think Skip would outrun Tom Brady. That's what, I, that's what I'm thinking. And like, is it that like, I, you have to have a level of insanity. Now, listen. The, the TB12 method ain't working on distance running. <laughs> as long as he can get a massage away from the heart halfway through the eight miles, he'll be fine. I read the TB12. It is batshit insane. Batshit insane. And listen, I am like super into pseudoscience nonsense. Like I've done the keto diet and all this crap. Like I'm all about that nonsense. Tom Brady's TB12 method is batshit insane. the number one craziest thing from the TB12 method. I think it's you can only massage away from your heart. Like, and like, there's like paragraphs as to why this is the case, and none of it makes any goddamn sense. Like, it's like to remove the chakra from the seventh moon. And like, it first off, like, it was more or less a pamphlet that was turned into a book. And so it's amongst the worst things I've ever read. Uh, but it is, it just keeps diving deeper and deeper to the point where you're like, oh, this is kind of a joke. And then you realize, like, it is not a joke. He is all in on this. Like, the not eating nightshades because it causes, like, organ inflammation with no evidence to back that up. Is, is I've actually heard that before. I I'm sure. That. I'm sure. You eat anything and it's going to mess you up. And I'm not saying that nightshades are some, like, infallible source of positivity in, for your body. But, like, it, it's just this hodgepodge of – it seems totally in, poorly connected – nothing's backed up. I don't know. Alex Guerrero got his, uh, got his medical degree from like some Cayman islands, Dr. Leo Spichemin medical clinic. Like it, it's, it's, it's a little bit Dr. Nikki. Uh, it's, it's quite something. I would say that you should go and pick it up, but I'm pretty sure it costs like 60 bucks, but I, I was able to, I was able to see one in a bookstore one time and, uh, peruse it for a good hour. Um, God. Okay, so let's let's set aside Tom Brady. <laughs> no one defending Tom Brady. I, you have to agree with Skip's comment that it is a long way for LeBron to run. I do not know what kind of long distance running LeBron James does. Sure, I cannot believe that I'm giving this credence. Um, oh, by the I, way, I don't think it's it's not ludicrous. The most insane thing I've ever heard. No, I do think that there's a certain part he of, of makes claims that are worse than this on his show. Oh yeah. Um, but you have to kind of have this level of confidence. You have to feel like you can defeat somebody in one realm in order to justify being this hot takey and like and very derogatory in the hot takes, right? Like it's not just like a hot take, like he sucks this and that, like really it like uh, impugn people's characters, which is what Sp- Skip Bayless does for a living more often than not. He really gets personal with his attacks, uh, and so you have to have this level. I think that's why it works out so much. Like no one's going like amongst all the people, very few people can kick Skip Bayless's ass. And like that helps to just have that confidence internally. It helps that I'm a huge fucking person and like don't feel physically threatened at all. And I'm nowhere near on Skip Bayless's level, but I get, I get bad emails. You can only imagine what that guy gets. That said, you give LeBron a, a month. Um, he's probably the greatest ever American athlete. I, I, I take him any day of the week. I'm still taking LeBron. Like that's what I'm saying. Even tomorrow, I really think I would take LeBron. Sheer willpower. Yeah, like I think that dude would just be like, "This motherfucker is not beating me in an eight-mile race," and I think he just like will it. It's beneath him, though. I mean, like he can't. Like here, he he has to pretend like he did not hear this. Here is my move. My move is I want a 
LeBron versus Skip Bayless pay-per-view special proceeds going all to either I promise or going yeah. to a charity of LeBron's, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, whatever he wants it to go to, it goes to, uh, Skip, I mean, Skip, this is a win for Skip regardless. Like Automatic win. Let's, let's just be clear about this. Getting him to do this is a win. Yeah. Uh, if Skip wins, LeBron has to come and do like a show with Skip, we'll say. He, like, has, to, he has to go over to the Fox lot on Pico right, and like, do an episode of Undisputed with, with Skip. Fucking four minutes from his from Staples. Not four minutes from Staples, but like... nothing. It was four minutes from my house and I lived across the street from it. Yeah, very, very close. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't really take like a whole lot out of LeBron. No. Uh, Skip loses because of just the sheer audacity of all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am here for Skip never being able to mention LeBron on his show again. Which would essentially end his career. Yeah, he's still got the still got the Cowboys. He's still got Tom Brady. He's still yeah. got all he's still got it all. He just can't talk LeBron. I don't know, man. That that is a high stakes game. I think that LeBron should throw that out there because like, and make him sign some documents saying like, you can't talk about me on the show. Like here's a, a an injunction or a restraining order from, for, I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm no lawyer, but there's certainly something he can do to, uh, to put a gag order on him of sorts. Uh, would, would Skip go for it? I don't think he would. I think he'd back out. I think he'd be a coward. And then that's an ultimate win for LeBron. I don't know, man. That dude is, that dude's got all sort of ego. I'm here for it. Uh, it's beneath him. I would love. To, I would love to see it. Skip, regardless, like if he gets it, then he like raises him. Yeah, he raises the best athlete of all time. Like it would be pretty good. Um, I would hope that Bleacher Report Live or Bleacher Report Pay Per View would have cleaned up their uh, pay per view by then, because I would. I would pay for it. I would watch it. Let's do it. We. This is what we need. It's a hundred percent beneath LeBron. There is oh, no circumstance where he. This is. This is a. That shit, stupid idea. There is not one advisor who would tell him to do this, but Fuck. just like set it up with Maverick Carter with like an iPhone and give out a PayPal address, and then he sends you the password. Oh, how to make this work? Like how to how to get the get the access to the Periscope? Like this is what we do. This is how this works. Where would you host the race? The Fox Lot. I'm here for the Fox Lot. This make it ships home ground, baby. I know. I think you make him go to Akron in the middle of the summer, uh, and have Skip Bayless have to handle that heavy Ohio summer air uh, thunderstorm happening right in the middle of it. Do it. Do it around the University of uh, Akron's football stadium like three times. That's the winner right there. That's that's my play. Okay, I might be here for that too. Okay. Yeah, I'm, this is this is what I need in my life now. Um, this this is this it's is cool. Different. There's so much great basketball happening that this. <laughs> Yeah, like seriously, the doldrums. We're, we're like sort of in the doldrums, not really, because like people can start getting traded now, so that's good. Yeah. But like, speaking of that, uh, oh boy, oh who's, boy, oh boy. Uh, who's Brooks is this capable of getting traded uh, starting this weekend? Obviously, the Wizards wanted to get involved. Yeah, well, for I mean, wow. Um, so, so the original trade here is Trevor Ariza goes to the Wizards. Yep. Kelly Oubre goes to the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies then send uh, Wayne Selden and an indetermined Brooks. Uh, One it, of the Brooks. Marshawn. Like, yeah. Dil- Dylan was not involved in this based off of everything Memphis has said. So definitely uh, Marshawn Brooks. 
And, and then I think that the Wizards got like a second round pick. I think someone else got a second round pick in there. So like, of course this doesn't make sense. It was a nonsensical trade to start with. Like Trevor Ariza for Marshawn Brooks and uh, Wayne Selden is not good. Even no. like Trevor Ariza for Dylan Brooks is not great. Not so, great. I like Dylan Brooks though. Yeah, like I think Dylan Brooks is a fine rotation player, but they could do better, as they eventually did, as we'll talk about in a second. Here. So, like, like the Grizzlies are sitting here going, "We're getting Kelly Oubre for Marshawn Brooks and Wayne Selden." Like, I like Wayne Selden too, but what's going on here? Yeah, that's <laughs> not. It, it, this is. Um, I mean, the Grizzlies came out a okay. Well, maybe sort of, not necessarily, but. You think about the two parties that that were making the the bulk of this trade, which were the oh the Wizards and, and the Suns, and you want to talk about some inept organizations. This is something a, this is one hell of a one-two punch. Something this ridiculous can only happen when the combined forces of Ernie Grunfeld and Robert Sarver get together. It's uh, a thousand percent right. It's a thousand percent right. I mean, the only way that this could have been more comically inept is if the Bulls somehow got involved. <laughs> We had Jim Boylan trying to fight Kelly Oubre on the way out. Um, I get why the Wizards think that this is a good deal. Uh, they're looking at the Oubre contract. They're thinking we can't resign them anyway. Ariza is on a one-year deal. Um, relatively easy to get that money uh, or to get him in there. Uh, you have a toxic locker room. Trevor Ariza is not necessarily a leader, but he is a universally liked person and is going to be, if nothing else, a steady level head in a locker room that can certainly use it. Um, Kelly Oubre, on the other hand, not so much of that ilk. Uh, So I can see why they thought, oh, this is a good idea. It just doesn't do anything. I mean, it honestly just doesn't do anything to fix a a Wizards team that is still – broken despite the fact that they're playing better and and i don't understand what the end game was i mean at least they got Ubre out of it when it was all said and done but like what the hell are the suns doing so uh, give me give me a second on the sun give me a second on the wizards and i'll yeah. describe the suns because i actually think it's fine for them um for the wizards i don't really think they get any better here and in this scenario i think you need to consider opportunity cost um could you have more easily moved like Kelly Oubre in a first, if you were worried about saving your job, if you were Ernie Grunfeld for something that like actually makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't know if Trevor Ariza is that much better than Kelly Oubre. Right? No, no, one's, upgrade, no one's watching the wizards and being like, you know what this team could use a slight upgrade. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just like a small thing. And like, I guess that the locker room is certainly a part of this, uh, Austin Rivers never really seemed like much of a fit there. So he eventually was just to, you know, throw it out there for everyone was Trevor Ariza goes from Phoenix to Washington for Austin Rivers and Kelly Oubre. Mm -hmm. Um, Rivers has since been waived. It seems like. Yeah. Um, He literally just got waived. It's like done now. Um, No one is is really sure where he's going to go. There was a report out there that he's going to go to Memphis and that doesn't Mm. seem to be working out. Um, so like that is still up in the air, but yeah. with Kelly Oubre uh, in versus Trevor Ariza, what you're looking at is like an upgrade defensively more than anything. And an upgrade in terms of just having like a corner three point shooter. Having yeah. said that, like everyone is pointing to Trevor Ariza was so good with John wall. And you look at what his like, what was he? 
it comes from his shot quality, and he was. He was really good with John Wall. But mm. those years look more like an outlier than anything. Also, I mean, John Wall was a better player then, arguably, than he is now. Sure. No, you know what? I'll give John Wall credit. Like, for the last two weeks, he's actually been really good. Yeah. Uh, it seems like he's really rounding into – Unintended. Know. I don't know if it's playing shape. I don't know what it is, but like he's playing a lot better. So that's yeah. good. Um, yeah, fair enough. But here's the other issue here. It's just like, again, opportunity costs. What are you doing if you're Washington? I, I don't really, I don't really think that this moves the needle. And then if you're Phoenix, everyone's like kind of trying to act like the signing with Trevor Ariza wasn't that good. I don't really agree with that. Well, like here's the deal at the end of the day, they paid, However much money, uh, well, they paid like fifteen million dollars to try and try Kelly Oubre, basically. Yeah, sure. and like Kelly Oubre, to me, given how young he is, still, like, that might be a starting quality player in the NBA. Uh, they, you have to sign him this year, but like, yeah. if you're telling me I can get a starting quality player in the NBA for an asset acquisition cost of fifteen million dollars, I'm basically doing that every time. I have to agree. Beyond that, you had. I mean, listen, we all know how dysfunctional the situation is in in Phoenix. I mean, you had a GM fired at the eve of the season, a GM who had spent the offseason more or less trying to get the team ready to at least be slightly respectable at the beginning of the year. Now, they're playing some fairly decent basketball as of late now that Devin Booker's back, and he actually looks like a point guard. So, so much for all that belly aching about oh, the Suns need to go get a point guard. Like, they might already have one in Devin Booker. Now, I, they can still upgrade for sure. It's not his natural position, but... They still need someone who can guard lead guards. Valid. You are what you defend. He cannot yeah. defend. And, like, DeAnthony De- Melton is starting there right now. He looks pretty okay on defense. Yeah. Offensively, there's still a lot. There, there's a way to go with Melton. I think that was always the case. Um, totally agree. Yeah, he was like one of NBA draft winners. Like, oh my God, this guy could be a lottery pick. And then he falls to 46. Hasn't he been on three teams thus far? No, I mean, well, two, I guess, because he got okay. to Houston. But, right. Um, but like, Melton's good. Like, I had him as a first round pick, but like, no, you did. Yeah, like, he's a he's a good player, but there's a long way to go there still. There's a reason he fell. Yeah, in terms of like developing his offense and uh, making sure that he is capable of running a team and making an impact as an actual threat to play offense and as an actual scorer versus making an impact everywhere else on the floor. He's actually really good already with that stuff. So um, I I like the idea of a point guard like that. I'm just not sure it's Melton yet, especially at this stage of his career. So you tell me though, you know, I signed Trevor Ariza for 15 million. The idea is he's going to be someone that is an adult for you know kids to look up to, and then eventually we move him down the road, which I think was always the idea. I mean, right. I think Brian McDonough might have been thinking like, "Hey, let's try and compete." And if it fails, I'm sure that was his thought, but you know, right? But the, the idea of trading him potentially was always there, and I think that Kelly Oubre is a very reasonable, very, uh, very good return on this because he still has asset control, even if it's like relatively yeah. high cost asset control that and that's my concern it's high cost asset control so now you haven't necessarily maximized the value as much as perhaps you could have um you look around would someone Ooh. have been willing to give up a first round pick for for trevor Ariza if they got desperate enough i don't, I don't know seems right on that line the problem with that is that a team might have been willing to do that if trevor had played well 
But like there are reports that Trevor kind of just quit caring in Phoenix. So stunning, stunning how that happens. I mean, it it is what it is, right? Right. So you end up having Trevor Ariza for 30 games or whatever, and he plays at like the 10th percentile outcome that you thought you'd be getting him at. And you still move him for Kelly Oubre. That's fine. I think. Yeah. No, I think, I think, listen, I'm not going to disparage getting Kelly Oubre. Like that, it's a plus. It's something that certainly helps them in the long term far more than just letting Trevor Ariza play out his contract does. Um, I don't know if it's maximized, but it's certainly not the worst they could have done for sure. I'll give one more thing too here. I actually think that you can make a case that it'll be easier to move Kelly Oubre point guard for like a lead guard that you can try out for a little while and then you know maybe move mm-hmm. forward or maybe it works out who knows then yeah. it would have been trevor ariza if only for salary matching purposes and if only for you know just having someone different on the roster and having who's, uh, a, who's yeah. a name that comes to mind in that regard oh i honestly like i don't know is the problem yeah i mean that that's the thing there's not a lot of guys who seem right on that cusp who are fiscally capable i mean i don't know so, so like is but here's the other the name we always say is Terry Rozier, but I don't think that the, the Celtics are going to give him up. They have too many hopes for the season. Like there's no reason to trade him now. You deal with it at the end of the season. Right. But, you know, honestly, it's a lot easier to trade Terry Rozier for Kelly Oubre than it is um, to trade Terry Rozier and something else to match salaries for yeah. Trevor Ariza. I don't disagree with that. I'm and, just saying I don't think it's going to happen. Know, like, uh, another guy that, you know, kind of makes – you know, at least a modicum of sense is Patrick Beverly. If the Clippers decide to fall out yes. in here, um, you know, if you're the Clippers, you can say, "Hey, we'll take Kelly Oubre." Kelly Oubre does have a high cap hold, which make things a little bit more complicated for them um, as they kind of go through their off season. Uh, we should maybe talk about Sam Amick. You know, doing the Kawhi Leonard report. Um, it was a thing from the Athletic, but like it's, uh, you know, it's all it's all fine. Like I think it just gives them more options, I guess, to go out and right. maybe get a point guard that is not fifteen million dollars, which ties up your cap sheet long term. You can go out and get a guy for three million dollars or five million dollars that doesn't tie up your cap sheet nearly as much. Again, good, not great uh, for the Suns. I guess it's better for the Wizards. It it doesn't change the actual trajectory of this team. This team will just constantly live on in a state of uh, medi- mediocre upside. Uh, you have Ernie Grunfeld basically living year to year, never making big long-term decisions that that stand to uh, benefit the team. Uh, that's a mess of an org, and, and I don't really know. I mean, it's certainly not as bad or as toxic or as brazen as, like, the Bulls or some, you know, the Knicks in prior iterations or, you know, the Clippers in years past, but well, like Patrick tweeted out like the asset tree for all of uh, the Wizards' first round picks, other than Bradley Beal and John Wall, right? And uh, Otto Porter. So, like, they're other than their top three picks over the last little while, and it is like they have zero assets remaining from yeah. those other than Trevor Ariza. Now it's crazy. How bad have you been in just selling picks and then not getting anything else for them? This is how you run an organization into the ground, despite having three top three picks that have panned out. About yeah. as well as you could have wanted, right? Yeah, I mean, listen, you can always want more from John Wall, and I've certainly wanted more from John Wall, but it's not as if he's a horseshit player and a total bust. Like, player. Like, exactly. It's exactly. really good. <laughs> now, is he overpaying all this stuff? Yeah, but like, there are a lot of teams that would like to have John Wall. I'm sure the Phoenix Suns would 
fucking love to have John Wall. Um, yeah. So I, I'm just like sitting here and I'm like, you know what? This is this is a disaster. Washington needs to really, really move on in their front office because but they won't. That's that's, that's it goes against what they've been needing to move on for a decade now, and here we are. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, let's talk about Spencer Dinwiddie. Spencer Dinwiddie signed a three-year, thirty-four million dollar contract extension that kicks in next season. It is not a renegotiate and extend. It is just an extension. Yeah. Um, interesting deal, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, you know, his max extension was four years, forty-eight million. Uh, he could have signed that deal. He could have chosen to go a one-year extension, two-year, three-year, four-year extension. Instead, he goes with three-year extension with the opt-out after two. I believe that that third year is a player option. Mm -hmm. So basically what he's doing here is he's saying to Brooklyn, hey, I really like playing here. I really enjoy this. I'm glad to be here. But I am also in a situation here where I know that I'm worth more than what this extension is uh, on the market next year. Like just realistically, Spencer Dinwiddie was going to get between fifteen and twenty million on the market. I think. Right. I mean, and, we, yeah, yeah. Wants to stay in Brooklyn though. Brooklyn is essentially tying up their cap space uh, for eleven more million dollars, so it's going to make them a little bit. Uh, it's going to make things a little bit more challenging for them to try and go and pursue a star or multiple stars this summer. Yeah, but that's fine. You get a guy in Spencer Dinwiddie that you're getting at far below market cost. Mm -hmm. uh, again, this guy's worth at least fifteen million dollars on the open market, in my opinion, and you're getting him for you know a fraction of it. So I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah, I mean it is interesting. I think I think we were talking about like why would Dinwiddie take this much of a discount. Um, and clearly he, he likes being in Brooklyn. Let's not forget this guy's, um, this guy's career path up until this point. Now he he's established himself and he is known as, is you know, a very, very good player, player worth that kind of money. Uh, you know, 15 to $20 million a year. Like he earned that, but yep. this is a guy who doesn't have a shoe deal. This is a guy who uh, has been cut and moved on and just been the 15th guy on a roster since he got into the league, he found his way to the Nets almost by happenstance. Uh, cannot express enough how he doesn't have a shoe deal, which is like some like everyone has. Jordan Bell has a shoe deal, um, right. so he's making his own shoes, and he's he, that, that that's kind of the guy he is. He's a guy who instead of just you know wearing Adidas or New Balance or Puma or something because he can get that opportunity now, he's like, no, 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 I'll go out and make my own shoes, fly to China, figure out the production costs have a custom shoe for every game, have my own logo. He knows all the foams and all this stuff. There was a really interesting article in the athletic about it. And, uh, and, and he, he's kind of a different cat and the security of having 30 plus million in the bank or, you know, 20 something plus million in the bank with the two years. I'm sure that was really reassuring to him. And if he wants to hit the market again here in two years, he can absolutely do it. And I'm, I'm certain given his level of play, given what he brings each and every game and, and just the, the solid leadership that he has given to that Nets team and he can give to any team. Um, I would, I would venture to say that he's in for another payday when this contract is done. So he's betting on himself. It's a little weird, but you know, ultimately everything that's led to this point has been weird too. Yeah. And I mean, this is a guy that has a pretty real injury history too. Uh, for sure. ACL, uh, in his last year at Colorado, that's why he fell in the draft. Uh, you know, this is a guy that was considered a potential lottery pick before that happened. Right. So, you know, it's, I understand. I think that he did the best of both worlds in this deal. 
Um, if he wanted to purely maximize his potential, his earnings, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. go out and get a 460 next summer from Phoenix. Like, I think that they realistically probably should have paid him that if he would have hit the market. Right. Um, but he's young. He's 25 years old, if I remember correctly. He can do that anyway. He can go and do that in two years down the road. He banks the 20 million now in case injury befalls him in the next 40 mm-hmm. or 50 games. Uh, he banks 30 million now, actually, because he's a player option, not a team option. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's just a it's a deal that makes sense for me everywhere, um, unless Spencer was dead serious about just being. I want to get the absolute most money I can, regardless of this. He's really happy in Brooklyn to win. Yeah, and clearly that was not his prerogative, and so I will cheer guys. Listen, I, I will cheer guys who prioritize other things over money. I, I, I wish I was a person who could do that personally, uh, but I certainly value those kind of guys out there who are who are able to do that because I don't think I would have the gumption uh, and the the clear mind to uh, to be able to keep those priorities in line. But he he has been credit to him. Yeah, I mean, like, you know what? I, I want guys to prioritize whatever they want to prioritize. Exactly, exactly. Right? If right. you want to get all the money in the world, go for it. Because I think, you, I think you and I, people who are not in that position, that would be our initial reaction. But um, at a certain point, there are diminishing returns. I've been, at least I've been told uh, diminishing returns on a ton of money. These guys couldn't, you know, well, these guys with their heads on straight couldn't possibly spend all this money. So it's about finding opportunities that you might not be able to get at another point in your career. It's about maximizing quality of life for where you are at that point in your life. You know, guys with families, guys with who are single, you know, th- this is all the stuff that has to be taken into consideration. Um, it is a lot different of a job market than it is for you and I, where we're, you know, there's a few options. We got to figure it out. You got 30 teams in theory. You got a lot of different cities, a lot of different opportunities. Uh, you take into account the teams that are involved in all of that and what they're presenting. Uh, It'd be super stressful, super stressful. Don't envy the agents, especially uh, especially ones that want to get the most money out of it. But Spencer Dinwiddie, all-around good guy, all-around good deal here for, for both him and his basketball team. Yeah, it's pretty terrific. Let's talk about the Denver Nuggets here. How about them Denver Nuggets, man? Do you want to – I'll let you jump in on that. There's a little bit of a mea culpa here. I'm just going to throw that out there because there's – you you were out, my man. I wasn't out. I wasn't out. I just wasn't. I, I wasn't buying the initial surge. I never thought that they weren't a playoff team. I never thought that they weren't going to maybe even have home court in the first round. But this number one seed stuff just didn't fully jive with me because I expected the defense to falter and I expected you know the offense to maybe not stay at the clip that it was at. And you lose three starters as the Nuggets have done in recent weeks and they keep winning and they win impressive games over good teams. And listen, I, I still have my doubts, but I got to shut the hell up about them because this is a team that is consistently on a night in night out basis, playing good, hard nose, fundamental basketball. And they can beat Dan, they can beat anybody in the league on a nightly basis. And there are very few teams that I feel confident saying that about the Denver Nuggets are now one of those teams. Nikola Jokic needs to be put into the MVP conversation, I'm not jumping him over anybody, but he needs to be part of that conversation. Even if he's just a tack on at the end, uh, Torrey Craig has been outstanding for this team. Uh, what a pickup, something that's not talked about enough, but it, just a guy who can get into opponent guards craw and mess them up, gives them a level of toughness that, Frankly, I, I didn't think they had last year. Millsap is out, and they, they just keep going. They're deep. They're using that depth to their advantage right now. I don't know what I, Isaiah Thomas is going to be able to bring them, but 
man, I, I, I you got to like the cut of this team's jib. I, I, I don't know if they hold on to this number one seed for much longer, but they're going to be right in that hunt. And if we're talking about the second best team in the Western Conference, I have to shut the hell up and I have to start including them in that conversation that I, I wasn't necessarily keen to do so a, a couple weeks ago. Nikola Jokic is a basketball genius. Policy genius is uh, the best way to get life insurance. Uh, we know that life insurance is a deeply unfun topic. Most people don't like thinking about dying, and they definitely don't like thinking about insurance. But actually having life insurance feels great, and getting that peace of mind doesn't need to be complicated. Policy Genius is the easiest way to get life insurance. In minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find the coverage you need at a price you can afford from there. You can apply online and the unbiased observers at Policy Genius will handle all of the red tape, leaving you free to do the things you actually enjoy. Uh, if you've been intimidated or frustrated buy insurance in the past, give Policy Genius a try. Just go to policygenius.com to get your quotes and apply in minutes. You can do the whole thing on your phone right now. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy health insurance. So I think that the thing that I want to talk about with Denver is the defense uh, first, because the fact that they're fifth in defense still is kind of surprising to me. Agreed. Uh, I do like the adjustments that they have made in terms of being more willing to allow Nikola Jokic to cover guys like out on the perimeter, right? Like they'll actually switch him onto guards and then mm -hmm. they'll play like three slides and then try and drop back and recover if he can. If not, then they'll leave him on an island. They still do occasionally play drop coverage with him if guards can't shoot, but they're, they're playing a little bit more aggressively. And I think that that's really interesting in the way that we've always thought about Nikola Jokic as a defender. Right, we've always Agreed. thought about him is this guy who can't uh, move his feet on the perimeter, and in the playoffs, I think there are still very real worries about that. Right, it has to be. I mean, but, but at the same time, you think about it, they're they're so strong as a team defense compared to they were last year. They can get away with just leaving Jokic out on an island out there because they they feel confident that they'll be able to slide over and give him help. Not something they could say last year. Yeah, I think that's right. And just in general, this is a little bit better of a team defensively. They trust Torrey Craig a little bit more, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, they certainly have Juancho Hernan Gomez to throw out there. Paul Millsap is uh, not healthy right now, but he's going to be healthy going forward, we think at least with this roster. So yes. Jamal Murray's a little bit more comfortable this year than he was last year defensively. Gary Harris is a pretty good defender who gives a lot of effort there, even though he's smaller. It's just a... It's an interesting group defensively more than it's a amazing group, I guess. Yes, which is why there's a skepticism, right? Like, or at least there was on my end. And I, I, I'd say that there still is. Like, you, you just don't – it doesn't make a lot of sense outside of, oh, well, they have Paul Millsap now, so they're better. They shouldn't be this much better. I, and, and listen, they're well coached. Um, they're, they're sound. They seem to just be selling out to stop the three-pointer, which is a uh, – interesting strategy that I'm not necessarily against, but it, it just still doesn't feel right. And that is as deep of an analysis as I can give you on this. So I, I will say this, like opponents are shooting 32% from three against them. I do think that that's going to regress a little bit. Uh, like I think that it's yeah. probably going to go up to right around league average just because I know that they're good at, contesting three-pointers and getting out on shooters, but generally you expect, you know, that attempt rate is a more 
uh, is a better way to predict future three-point percentage success against than actual percentage, especially at this point in the season. And right now they're only 14th in three-point attempts against per game. So that is there, I think, certainly. It's interesting to me that they've completely slowed down the pace as well. They're playing a lot slower. Um, You know, that that is, I think, really helped their defense because – it creates a situation where Jokic can get back defensively, which at least creates an impediment at the basket. Um, In terms of the offense though, I mean, they're eighth in offense. Like they look pretty okay. It's statistically, but like this is a team that is not getting the shooting results that you would expect. Like Nikola Jokic is shooting under 30% from three right now. That's not going to hold. Harry shooting 30% from three. Gary Harris is an elite shooter that is shooting 32% from three right now. They've gotten really good results like down the roster, like uh, Wancho is at 42, Monte Morris is at 44. Um, but like a lot of these guys, they aren't living up to standards. Trey Lyles is at 23%. Like they're they're going to get better shooting the basketball and their offense I think is just going to like naturally regress upward. So for all the you know, questions about the defense potentially getting like a rude three-point awakening at some point. Yeah, I think the offense is going to get one too, and it's going to be a positive one. I agree with that, which is why it's just hard to read. There is a lot of weirdness. Weirdness is hard to project going forward. Um, just when you have this many anomalies going kind of at one time, you don't know again what IT is going to bring to the squad. But they're here. I mean, they were good last year. They missed the playoffs by a game. Uh, in a very tight Western conference. So they only missed, you know, like the five seed by like two games or something to that effect. Um, there's, there's no reason they made a, they've made a leap and there's plenty of reason to see sustainability here. I got, I got to eat the crow. I, I, I wasn't buying it. I thought initially that this was just early season energy, but this, this is a team that isn't going away. I, again, I, I, I'm not buying them for the one seed not even necessarily buying them for the two seed or the, you know, but three, four, absolutely. That, that is a conversation I'm willing to have. And they've played a monster schedule, by the way. Yeah, they they've have. So far, the Clippers, the Warriors, Pelicans, uh, the Jazz, the Celtics, uh, the Thunder, the Lakers again, right. the Blazers on the road, the Bla- Raptors on the road, um, Oklahoma City again two nights ago, and they beat Toronto uh, on Sunday. So, and let's not forget they have an awesome home court advantage. Yeah, like they're, they're it's the home court advantage is great, but they're taking it take they're taking care of business against good teams, and that yeah. says a lot to me more than anything. I mean, I'm eating it. I'm eating it. The, the Nugs are here. It's happening. Uh, yeah. Really are, they the, are, are they the second best team in the Western Conference? I would still pick Oklahoma City against them long term. That's, that's, that's still kind of where my head's at. But I'm, I'm, listen, this is nothing against Oklahoma City, but it's easy to get on this Nuggets hype wagon. And like, I'm interested to see what they look like in the playoffs. Like, I'm very interested to see what uh, the way that teams scheme against Nikola Jokic. Right? Yeah, I think crunch. I think crunch time of the regular season too, when games start really meaning something, and seed is up for. Uh, for grabs and, and teams are going to start to put in more isolated one-off game plans towards after the all-star break, essentially. I, I think that that's a, uh, that's going to be a really interesting time because I, I totally agree with you 100% playoffs. Who the hell knows? Um, there are a lot of areas to exploit with this team. And then 
again, you know, there's a lot of great offensive ability on the squad as well. And theoretically, they'll be healthy by then. And that's a lineup that I certainly wouldn't want to face if I was any team in the Western Conference. But Jokic is the X factor on this team without a doubt. And he gives what he uh, what he takes sometimes. Yeah. Most of the time. Pretty much all the time. I'm at the point where like, I'm pretty comfortable saying that they are my third best team. I think they're the three seed in the West. Um, Utah has played just an absolute joke of a schedule in the same way that Denver has. And like, they're not that far behind and Utah has played a lot more games on the road than Denver has too, which is, you know, something that Utah particularly like Denver. uh, They have that intense home court advantage from playing at elevation too. So, right. I think Utah is going to really kind of figure some things out here at some point and really start to make a run. But like, I think it's really hard to, you know, maybe, maybe the Lakers are right in their wheelhouse. Like I was talking to someone earlier today, uh, another writer, and we were like, you know, if the, if Denver and the Lakers played in the first round of the playoffs, that's what I was, I was just thinking that. Yeah. Like Denver would have what four of the five best players in the series, but there's that one <laughs> for the Lakers that is just unbelievable. And yeah. right now, I've got to be honest, I think I would take Denver in a playoff series over the Lakers because I think that their defensive scheme would cause problems for the Lakers. Yeah, but then there's the Paul Millsap problem. Yeah, no question. I mean, the Paul Millsap. <laughs> I mean, like LeBron. The fact that he was owned by LeBron, much like Al Horford. Yeah, yeah. like they, they really only have – one body to throw at LeBron is a little bit scary, right? Yeah. I mean, is really the guy? Uh, I mean, you could throw Wancho on him, but that seems like a bad time. No, you can't. Uh, you can maybe, maybe give Craig some run. Tory Craig might be able to handle him a little bit. Yeah. Craig, a little bit for a couple of, a couple of possessions for sure. Yeah. Like LeBron might have like 50 pounds on Tory Craig. Yeah. Yeah. Still, Craig's a tough little fucker. He's great. Yeah. It's, I love Tory Craig. Tory Craig's story is amazing too. It's a good like, story. That dude was in the NBL like two years ago, and he yeah. won Defensive Player of the Year in the NBL, and then decided to come over for a summer league, and you know took care of business in a pretty pretty real way. Um, Love guys like that. Yeah, great. He's the fact that they took the time to invest in Tory Craig is amazing, uh, and you should take some time to look into your investment portfolio <laughs> with Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app. <laughs> that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. It's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. It's simple and intuitive. There's a clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. Uh, Look, I'm a big fan of Robinhood. Uh, I think that it just makes life so easy. You can just use the very simple user interface uh, the user experience is fantastic. The little search bar at the top makes life so much easier if you're looking for specific stocks, if you're looking for specific uh, areas and industries. It, it really is terrific. The, the values of Robinhood are that there are no cost and commission fees. Other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge uh, any of those commission fees. Uh, you trade stocks and you keep all of your profits. Like I said, the design and ease of use is fantastic. And you learn by doing. You learn how to invest as you, as you build your portfolio. You discover new stocks and track your favorite companies with personalized news feeds. And there are custom notifications for price movements. So you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving a free stock. It's giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint. 
to help build your portfolio, sign up at gametheory.robinhood.com. That's gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y at ro or .robinhood.com. Gametheory.robinhood.com. Uh, it's, it's really just a terrific way to get into investing. Uh, Dieter, where do you want to go from here? Uh, we've got, we've got the world is our oyster. Do you want to keep talking about the nuggets? Do you want to talk, you know, about, uh, We've got the Sixers on the depth here. Yeah, um, let's, let's talk about the Sixers depth thing. Let's go sad, and then we'll get happy again. So, yeah, the Sixers have depth problems. This is not <laughs> – uh, whenever you trade two guys like Robert Covington and Dario Saric, who are both starter quality players, for one, it, it's going to create just less depth on your roster overall. Uh, the problem is that they didn't have a whole lot of depth to begin with, uh, mostly in part – I would say due to the fact that Brian Colangelo left them really hanging this offseason. Uh, a little bit. By uh, getting into a spat with burner accounts. Uh, I mean, like, Collars up, baby. Collars up. Yeah, I mean, like, that's just a normal size collar, folks. Uh, I don't really... <laughs> a new slant. But look, I do think that the problem here is that Colangelo kind of set the front office back on its heels a little bit. Uh, this was, and also they wanted to keep their books clean potentially for this offseason as well. So they were only looking for one year deals as opposed to maybe spending a little bit more and, you know, filling out this roster. I think that they'll try and do that this summer more than they did last summer. But that doesn't help them right now. And right now they're playing Wilson Chandler like 25 to 30 minutes a night, and he's not really helping them at all. Like Amir nope. John looks kind of cooked me and Mike Mascala hasn't really helped them in the way that they were hoping when they got, got involved with the Carmelo Anthony Dennis Schroeder trade and yeah. like Markel Fultz continues to be a thing <laughs> is he is he a thing he's nowhere he's no a story one. that's for sure and then yeah. like Landry Shamit is playing probably 20 to 25 minutes a night it seems like right now and you know a guy that can play in the NBA certainly I think he's proven that yeah. But it's, you know, he's not ready to play a big role yet. And like a lot of these guys that I'm mentioning too, they're not defenders at all. So really you have all of Jimmy and Joel and Ben who are really, really good defenders. But if you and I know anything now, it's that whenever NBA offenses look to attack a defense, a defense is really only as good as its weakest link now. Yeah. And it's really hard to have like a super elite defense when Jimmy Ben and Joel are all on the floor. The Sixers defense is awesome. I think it's like right around like a one 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 two defensive rating, but whenever one of those guys leaves, it becomes really, really difficult for the Sixers to kind of, you know, defend anyone really. And it's not as if the offense is really kicking into a higher gear to make up for it. So they're at best treading water. And most of the time they're giving up ground. This is, this team's Achilles heel. And, and frankly, I don't know what they can do at this juncture to make a serious upgrade to a bench that frankly needs it. Uh, well, you have any ideas? The move is probably looking to trading Markel Fultz. Um, they say that that's they want an all time sell low. Yeah. They want like a high first round pick for him still. I don't really understand that move, but nope. okay. Um, and then, like, you try and, like, aggregate, like, Wilson Chandler and 
some of these other guys. Like, it's just hard. Like, I, it, it doesn't seem to be an option. Yeah, like they're in kind of a bad spot until the buyout market hits. And the buyout market is... They cleaned up on the buyout market last year, let's not forget. They did. They did really well. They got Urson Eliasova. They got Marco Bellinelli. Um, like a guy like if if Dwayne Dedman doesn't get traded mm. to anyone, yeah. he makes a lot of sense to me as like That's a backup a center. Um, you know, with, uh, Robin Lopez. Yeah, like Robin Lopez, sure. If he wants to get, if they end up buying him out, sure. But like I think teams might actually prioritize those guys and give up like a second round pick for them. Right. Um, I don't really know because more than anything, and like someone brought up yesterday on Twitter, should they sign Austin Rivers? And my answer to that is no. And the reason I say that is because they need guys who can play both ends. They don't need like one dimensional offensive guys. Like, and really they need shooters. Like you might be willing to deal with a one dimensional guy if he's a shooter and someone like you can just trust to consistently bang home 40% of threes. But like Austin's not going to do that and he's not going to defend. So, and he wants the ball in his hands and you have both Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler. So like, what is, what is the appeal there? <laughs> it really isn't. I mean, and this is, this is the conundrum. I think a lot of people, including and maybe the Sixers more than a lot of people uh, to speak generally thought that the Jimmy Butler thing would be the thing that got them over the top, but you give up a couple of assets, you lose a little bit of depth. Um, you're asking a lot of guys who, who frankly haven't shown it yet to step up and, and that's dangerous territory because sometimes a spade's a spade. Like I, I don't know if Wilson Chandler's going to step up. I, I don't know if you can get anything out of a mirror. Like it, it's just, it is what it is. And being top heavy in the Eastern conference is not a good thing to be. The teams are too damn deep. And uh, if you're top heavy in the Eastern conference, you're probably closer to the Pacers than you are to the Raptors and the Celtics. Well, like here, here's the deal too, though. Like it, it's, it's not like they're hemorrhaging games, right? Like no, 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 no. and they're fourth in the East right now. But the problem is that the reason that they're not hemorrhaging games is they're playing Ben Simmons 40 minutes a night. They're playing right. Butler 37 minutes a night. And Joel Embiid is like still, you know, second, I think, among centers in minutes right now. So like yeah. it's a problem. It's it's, it's a real it's, problem. It's not good. It's not good. Uh, and, and ultimately, you know, we, we've been seeing some separation with the Celtics getting their act together. We know what the Raptors are. I think uh, maybe I'm higher on the Bucks than most, but we can all agree that they are an elite team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I like their NBA Finals chances perhaps better than most uh, who are probably picking Raptors or Celtics at this juncture. But it feels like there's a little bit of a separation happening between those top three teams and the, and the Sixers, who were in theory supposed to be that fourth team in the mix. And uh, I, I don't know what the correction that needs to be made is, honestly. But like something's got to change. Just wait until the buyout market hits at this stage. Or yeah. like Markel Fultz gets a healthy shoulder. Yeah. If, uh, anything with Fultz is, is not worth holding your breath for. Uh, right. Like, I, I agree. So I don't, I, I just don't know what they should do at this stage. And that's it's waiting probably- for the buyout market is a really, is a really tough game because yes, it, it will certainly help you in the latter stages of the season. If you make the right move and then you have a good team going into the playoffs, but uh, it's a bit of a crap shoot. Uh, you're, you're praying that the guy 
that's available wants to come to your team over X, Y, and Z, it, you don't really have a lot of control. You might feel like you do, but you really don't. And you're well, really hoping for cohesion late in the season, and that's hard to do. So like the the other case here would be, you know what, the East is really bad. You'll make the playoffs anyway. Yeah. Just like play your guys, play your guys like a minute limit and, you know, deal with it that way. But if you think you're really competing and you have Joel Embiid and Jimmy Butler and Ben Simmons, so I think that they probably should think that they're competing. The road is so much easier if you stay in that top four seed range, right? Right. You're really in the top three, I think, because if you avoid all of uh, the Pacers, the Bucks, the Celtics, and the Raptors. And yeah, I'll throw the Pacers in there. I think the Pacers are really good. Yeah, they're uh, the hottest team in the league right now. Right. You're playing one of Brooklyn, uh, the Pistons, uh, the Hornets, yeah. or the Magic, or the Heat, or the you, Wizards, or something you, like that in the first that. round of the playoffs. And like you're getting out of the first round if that's the scenario. And then you only play two of those teams. Like, uh, the Raptors, Celtics, Bucks, or Pacers, instead of having to play three of them, and that you're not you're not getting through three of them. They're, yeah, this team is not getting through three. three of them. I think it's yeah. really hard to get through three of those teams. It's hard enough to make the case that they'll get through any of them right now, right. much less two. Yeah, um, so they're in a weird spot. I think it's worth like kind of pointing that out, and I don't know where they're going to go from here. To be <laughs> honest, um, do you have any? Do you have any further discussion points on that? I feel like this Fultz thing is going to end up being a touchstone. NBA moment. In what way? I just feel, I feel like a lot of stuff over the next, we have no idea how this thing resolves itself, but you think about what the Celtics are doing. If the Celtics, they seem to have started to figure it out. Um, You you look at that trade to, with the, with the Celtics to get Markel Fultz to the Sixers. Um, I just feel like so many so many things over the next few years. And again, not knowing how this ends up, but you can just imagine the circumstances. If, if Markel Fultz is indeed considered uh, um, an asset that they can't use anymore or somebody that, that cannot contribute to a championship contending team, um, sort of the butterfly effect of all of that is going to be absolutely fascinating. And I think it will be uh, one of those touchstone moments where you go, and if they had not made that trade, or uh, or had Markel stayed healthy or, or something to that effect. It will always be this grand what if that could have ram- serious ramifications, not just for the Sixers, but for the entire Eastern Conference and the entire NBA for years to come because mystery is intriguing and we'll always be thinking about it. Right. And like the other, so like Candace Buckner wrote about Markel and like the people around Markel yeah. uh, in the Washington Post. I want to say like late last week. Yes. And like it just painted a photo of, like to me, it's fucking weird. It's fucking weird. Not even like weird. It just put, painted like sadness to me. More mm-hmm. than thing. Like it, it's That's accurate. Yeah. That's, like it's, it's true. It's, true. it's just a huge bummer that this kid like is 20 years old. And I feel for him. I feel for him. And it, it sucks that we talk about uh, it, it sucks. But the, the paradigm of the situation that we're in is that we, I, we discuss him like he's not a person. Like I, I understand. I can, I can never possibly personally relate to the situation, but like I feel for the guy. At right. the same time, the other complicated factor about that particularly is that, like, his mom plays a critical role in all of this. Like, yeah, his mom is probably not helping the situation. Like, we can, yeah, pretty much say that. I think it, it was fair to deduce that from the article. And, and Candace is as balanced and fair of a reporter as there is in any any realm. So, uh, no, so, like, if you're drawing that conclusion from her reporting, 
it's a fair conclusion. Right. And like you hear stuff around the NBA too. Like she's, sure. she's probably not helping the situation, but no, the security cameras in the house is a lot in like the NDAs and stuff. Like she's making yeah. like non-disclosure agreements, but like, I, I also like sympathize and like empathize with her because at the end of the day, she's just trying to like help her son. And I'm sure her immediate defense is right. Hey, I should help this kid. Right. Like I, he's I should, 20 years old. He, right? He's got so much thrown on him. It, it hasn't right. worked out according to plan. There's so many ways this can go wrong. There's so many influences that could affect this in a much more negative way. Uh, I would probably, if I was in the same situation, I'd helicopter the shit out of that thing. Yeah, no, it's it's really, really impressive uh, and really, really difficult to kind of kind of wrap your head around, you know. And like I say, impressive because like it's just a lot of factors going on. It humanizes the whole situation, which is hard. It's easy to forget the human element of all this because we're playing a game. It's a high stakes. It's a high stakes game, and uh, he's just a guy sitting at the table in theory, but. It does humanize it. It does make you feel something that is, it was a, it was a fantastic article. If you haven't read it yet, I highly recommend you do read it on the Washington post. Uh, it, it, it does bring a side of the story that frankly we fail to talk about. And I think the entire general media fails to talk about, which is the flip side of it. Now, to be fair, it's harder to tell that story than it is to spout off about, you know, how weird shit is and the Sixers problems and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very sad mess. Yeah, no, no, no question. It's just a bummer. Uh, the good news is that Markel Fultz still has a great head of hair. And six damn these transitions. Lose their hair by the age of 35. But the thing is that when you start to notice hair loss, it's too late. Uh, if that slowly starting to move backward, if you have any bald spots, how are you going to feel a year from now if it's uh, no longer business as usual up there? I've got a solution for you. It's forhims.com, a one-stop shop for hair loss, skincare, and sexual wellness for men. Uh, thanks to science, baldness can be optional. Hims connects you with real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss. These are well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. Uh, there's no waiting room, no awkward doctor visits. You save hours by going to forhims.com. It's so easy. It's just a really great service. I mean, I, I can tell you this. It, it's just absolutely will help you in every single way. Uh, this is what I've got for you. Uh, my listeners are going to get a trial month of hymns for just $5 right now while supplies last. See the website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. Go to forhims.com slash game theory. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash game theory. G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y. Forhims.com slash game theory and get that trial month of hymns for just $5. Uh, Look, the Markel Fultz situation might be tough to talk about, but hymns is easy. Just go to forums.com. God damn. And things are just going to be so much better in your life. Uh, speaking of things that are better in your life, Dieter, yeah. let's go to what we like about life right now. I okay. mean, do you Dude. like the transitions that I just constantly <laughs> buck out consistently? I am way. All three of them today were just viscerally painful. Um, and yet terrific. Yes, no question. If you if you're not buying all of these products, you have no soul. Um, I loved Malika uh, Andrews's story today on the gamification of NBA practice gyms and what coaches are doing 
to sort of take the NBA game to the next level. Um, things like the four-point line being drawn in on the Nets floor and the Hawks floor and the Sixers floor and the Bulls floor, uh, oh. how the how the Bucks have put out uh, perfect squares to show where the guys should set up in their five-out offense. Uh, I think it was the Sixers who have a 12-point arc around the rim. If you're in that 12-point arc on an offense, you should be going for an offensive rebound. Anyone outside of it should be going uh, back in transition. This is just damn good stuff. Uh, it was a great article. I highly recommend everybody read it, but uh, it, it just shows where the NBA is going. Uh, it's not haphazard. Let's shoot more threes. Let's you know do all this stuff. There is a science to it now. It may or may not work. We don't know. It's a little bit of a uh, little bit of foe, but at the same time, it's really cool to see teams try to push. Uh, this new style of game. And now we're seeing a little bit of the zag too. A lot of teams slowing it down, trying to get more guys in the post. Um, but I love the gamification stuff and it was really interesting in, in watching the games. Now you can sort of, sort of notice like, Hey, you know, there's a reason that the bulls are shooting a lot of corner threes. It's because they super value that during practice to the point where they've painted in that corner and it makes it easier for um, guys to sort of value that spot. Uh, it, it's, it's good stuff. It's clever coaching. Uh, everybody has their own different version of this around the league, but you know, getting the background on how it took 90 minutes for the Bucks to put the perfect squares on the court for the five-out offense, then the next time you see Giannis take the ball down the court and go right for a dunk, you'll notice guys are standing in the exact spot those squares are. Trey Young with the spacing and the Steph Curry gravity that they're trying to create down in Atlanta. Uh, it, it's just it's just really interesting, good stuff, and I'm interested to see the next levels that it takes on because. This is this is the kind of nerd crap that I'm into. Yeah, no, I'm a hundred percent with you there. Like this, it, it's just really interesting to me the way that coaches go about trying to teach their players the value of specific things. Right, right. Uh, the way you phrased framed it is gamification. Like I have not read Malika's story yet. It's fantastic. I don't, I don't even want to spoil it. It's so good. Yeah, but like I, I'm very interested in this because yeah, I talk to coaches and talk to uh, like, and this is like on all levels, like NBA right. guys. I talk to college guys. Like it, everyone's still trying to figure out how to like deal with the millennial and you know the right. And there's a lot of good stuff. And there's a lot of good stuff about this. You know, to the art to the point of the article, like our generation and guys younger than us who are currently in the league, uh, they're. Uh, you know, they're growing up on audiobooks and, and tweets and 30 second blurbs on YouTube and they're not going through paperbacks. Like the attention span is just shorter. Uh, there's more of a sort of a gambler mentality, slot machine mentality to stuff. And you got to play into that. Where, where are you at on uh, on reading versus audiobooking? I do both. So I, uh, this is something that I kind of picked up on. I read a lot, not on my Kindle. I have a great Kindle. I have a Kindle paperweight and I try to read it frequently. I end up reading a lot more just on my iPhone and just reading a book on my iPhone. Um, I'm trying to spend less time on Twitter. I deleted Instagram, all this stuff, because it was it's kind of it was this like slot machine to steal my own term where you're just constantly looking for the immediate gratification, whereas I would rather you know, I'm just looking for interesting articles to read nine times out of 10 or an interesting factoid. And I don't have to go sifting through a bunch of shit, even though I keep a pretty curtailed Twitter uh, follower list. And I, I thought my Instagram was fairly decently tight. Like even then I'm still, you're still sifting through shit and you're just going through it. So um, 
reading a lot more books on the Kindle, but the Kindle, if you, for like an extra five bucks, um, you can usually get the audio book and you can kind of switch back and forth. So I, uh, I've been doing that recently. I'm reading, uh, currently a book, the club, which is sort of the formation of the premier league, really interesting stuff. That actually sounds amazing. Yeah. Uh, Highly recommend it. Definitely still a reader on my end because do you still get actual books or you do it on like a Kindle? Kindle. I have a Kindle that has like probably 200 books on it right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely still a significant reader. Um, Let me tell you this. Like, I, I would love to just sit down and read more. Obviously, we both have really busy schedules, but uh, with with my hours being so variant, especially around this time with two NFL teams and the Warriors and a yeah, hockey like, team and all this You're into, like, two writing some nights that you tell Oh, me. easy, easy. And um, I, I'm never up that late writing because I, I don't want – like, I don't have any, like, sort of deadlines, really. Right. So, like I try and live my life reasonably reasonable. I don't live a reasonable life. My life is complete chaos. So I would love to sit down and read more often, but um, you know, most of the time, the time that I would normally have to read is actually time. I actually have to do shit around my house and like an audiobook comes in super handy when I'm like folding clothes or doing dishes and stuff. So I do that with podcasts. That's feel like my, my problem is with Twitter. Like, I definitely look at Twitter too much. I am with you. Like I, yeah. I should probably delete the Twitter app off of my phone. I'm, I'm trying to, but at the same time, I want to be able to tweet. Like it, it's just, I put the uh, sort of like the time limit on it and I'm still hitting it. Like give me another 15 minutes and I'm just trying to wean it down. But see, like getting, I, rid, of, getting rid of Instagram was clutch. Cause I didn't really spend that much time on Instagram or so I thought like I was not an active poster. I wasn't like sliding into DMS all the time, but like, I would go into like golf tutorial wormholes. Like the only two things that I would get on the discover tab of, of Instagram was like hype beast videos and like SoundCloud rappers and golf tutorials. I was the weirdest person the algorithm had ever created. And uh, it, 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 it kept winning because I was just constantly fascinated by all this. I don't understand anything about the SoundCloud rap generation. Uh, and, and it was just totally fascinating. Kept learning more and more. Like did not make any sense. Um, and then, you know, the hype beast stuff, like the shoes are cool, I guess. I can't buy any because I wear a 16 and like no one makes cool shoes in size 16. That's uh, a problem. That's it's okay. It's probably for the best. I would buy too many of them. But and then like, and then like cool golf tutorials because I'm like, I'd like to be better at golf, but I'm not. So it'd be nice to learn <laughs> something that can help, but nothing's helping. Um, yeah. Like my problem with Twitter is like, it's not, it's not posting. Like I, I never, I don't yeah. I say never, but like I rarely post from my phone. My problem is not an information junkie. Like right. I need to have information the second it happens. Like I need to know everything that's happening in the world at all times. Um, you don't though. Like I, yeah, I, I, know, no, I, know, no. I know, I know, I know, I can feel it. I can feel, I empathize, but you don't. Yeah, I know. I'm starting to get better about that i would say like the information Uh, that you are getting is totally inconsequential typically that is accurate yes like i have the score app and i'll go through the score app and read about the nba's news last night and then i will google something to if i need more information on it like i don't need to be on twitter all night like what's the score of the nuggets raptors game i'll find out there's plenty of sources i'll be able to piece it all together after the fact well and like the other thing is too like now I don't want to say I rarely watch live basketball, but um, yeah. if it's a big game, I'll watch it. Yeah. Um, like I watched like Raptors Nuggets, you know, right. like I, 
Like I, I watch important games, but like most of the time, like I'm shifting to totally. in the morning because like I can just pull up synergy in the morning. I can get through a game in 55 minutes typically. Yeah. Easy. And, and you have full control over it. Right. And like, I don't have to watch free throws. Like it, it just, yeah. like it, it takes all the stoppages out. Like it really does like make my life way easier. For sure. It's just like, you know, I feel like I am, if I'm not looking at Twitter, like I'm still kind of missing something. I don't know. It, it's definitely like some sort of mental problem that I have. We all have it. We all have it. it this is, you're not unique. And, and certainly oh, yeah. I should, I am not, uh, I am hardly the poster child for, you know, being offline, but uh, I've been trying it out and I don't feel like there's been any loss at all. Yeah. I'd give it a try over the holidays, to be honest. After you go to this Vegas showcase thing, I would, I would legitimately just like, Maybe not fully delete it, but like put it like a pretty decent time limit. Well, the thing is that while I'm in Vegas to showcase, like whenever I'm at events, like people probably know, like I rarely tweet when I'm like at games, right? Um, Unless it's like a UCLA game and it's really boring. (laughs) But Um, like, how often are you just on your phone? Like, oh, I have a second of boredom. Let me, let me. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I'm getting rid of that. If I'm tweeting, that's different because if I tweet, then I thought it, it came through. That's true. And here's the thing. I feel like I'm having better thoughts now that I'm not just constantly trying to satiate myself with everyone else's thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. No I would bad. like to also, here's another thing that I would like to do about Twitter because this is now, this is totally segued into things I don't like, but I would like to get rid of the retweet function entirely. <laughs> Continue. What is the benefit of the retweet function? <laughs> Continue. Like, <laughs> and quote retweets. I don't care. I don't need. I don't need something that you have determined needs to be on my timeline in the timeline. Like, if you're retweeting people, and I have to stop doing it. This is like one of the first things I'm going to stop doing right now. You and I. This is a pact. I'm, I'm still going to quote tweet. I'm still going to quote tweet people. Outside of the people I have to professionally retweet, which are my coworkers on occasion. I am not retweeting shit anymore. People who like retweet the president with their snarky comment are out. People yeah, who people who like quote tweet a Woj report or retweet people who retweet a Woj report are out. See, like here's here's the thing though. I think that you overestimate the audience saturation levels on a lot of like news that breaks. I don't but, disagree with it. I don't disagree with that. Like Chris Harrington breaks that Austin Rivers is probably not going to sign with the Memphis Grizzlies. Fair um, enough. Fair enough. Like, but should we make a limit? Should should there be a number that we're talking about? Yeah, like when Wo like when Woj tweets something, like I tend not to retweet Woj just because like it's gospel. Yeah. I mean, not even that. Like, I think anyone with over like a hundred thousand followers, just no, just don't retweet them. I think, I think, I think that the news media a hundred thousand is like not a huge number. I I agree, but they they you know what they would just saying. This hasn't been fully thought out yet, but I would think that the news media landscape would be a lot better. I'm telling you this, it would be a lot better if the retweet function didn't exist. Oh man, I'm here for this. Things, things that I like. Uh, I like Emmanuel Moody, folks. Uh, you have gone next three straight podcasts. Three? What was? I did. I did Trier twice, but I did him twice in a row. Hey, well, you did it with me. I mean, listen. No one listens outside of the ones I'm on. 
That's true. Fair that's, point. It's totally not true. Um, so yeah, I actually do kind of randomly watch like the Knicks. Like I enjoy watching the Knicks. Yeah, they're kind of they're kind of spunky. I like them. Like D- David Fisdale like has them kind of figuring some weird shit out, and like Daniel Moutier is like kind of the poster child for that. Yep. Uh, over his last nine games, uh, he started all nine of them. He has played thirty-two minutes a night, twenty points, five point eight assists, uh, three point six rebounds. 48% from the field, 37% from three, 83% from the line, baby. Um, Emmanuel <laughs> and I could not be more excited because, oh, God, I had him at number three on my draft board that year. And Redemption! Uh, I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that draft is not great if you go back and look at it. Like, it's not – it's not like a disastrous thing to have him at number three. It was very clearly wrong, but like a lot of people were wrong with me. And like, I feel like it was within the grand scheme of where people were on Moody. Um, everyone had him somewhere between like three and nine. We'll say, um, well, you go through Jaleel Oka four, three, Pazonia five, Willie Cauley Stein six. Cauley Stein's been really good this year. It's worth pointing out. Just six, Austin, eight after a Moody eight, seven. Frank Kaminsky nine. Justice Winslow at ten. Trey Lyles at twelve. Cameron Payne at fourteen. Uh, like Carl Towns, D'Angelo Russell, Christoph Porzingis, Devin Booker, even Miles Turner. Like these guys have all turned out really good. And like you know, it best I should have Moody a like seventh if we're trying to get it most right, I right. guess. But. You know, you're, real, it, you're really feeling it. You're really feeling it. I'm feeling good about Emmanuel Moutier. Like, I, I'm not feeling good for my own like purposes. Like, I say that just because like, I, I it's worth saying where I was on him at the time. I think I think it's valuable information yeah. for people. Um, you know, like I, I was wrong, obviously, on where to select him because ultimately, like, too, my draft rankings are you know for the team that drafts him, not for what his long-term career is. Like I'm already very wrong on Emmanuel Moody yet. Um, yeah. but, oh, like for me, like it's very cool to see these guys like figure it out at their second. Totally. Time, agree. Right? Like I, I want to see guys who have like struggled and had a bit of failure. And, you know, in, in Moody's case, like he and Denver really struggled to adjust to their scheme and really uh, just didn't play well. Like it didn't seem like he was comfortable there at all. Um, you know, in New York, he looks like he looks valuable right now, at least. How old is he right now? He is, I believe, like 22. Yeah, yeah I mean. 22. So he's very young. Like, there will be players drafted this year, probably. Let's see, 96, March 5th, 96. There were players drafted in 2018 that were definitely older than he is. I think John Carter is older than he is. Yeah. I mean, that, that's something to be said for that. Uh, it sucks that the trajectory wasn't straightforward. And who knows where the hell it's going from here, but. 22 years old, yeah, it was probably too early to give up on the guy. Well, like, I think that it says a lot, too, about the NBA's need for a developmental system because at the end of the day, NBA teams have just gotten a lot better at identifying talented kids, whether they're ready or not ready to play in the NBA. And it's leading to kids getting drafted earlier and quicker and it's creating a circumstance where if a player is not very good because of past norms and because of a lack of developmental system, they're seen as a bust. They're seen as someone who, if they don't succeed by the age of 22, whenever they're drafted at the age of 19, that, you know, they suck. And that like, they right. this was a failure of a draft pick. 
I think that like, you know, maybe Emmanuel Moutier was never a great scheme fit in Denver, but if we can figure out a way to uh, further foster the developmental system surrounding basketball, including the G League, which showcase I'm going to tomorrow, yeah. um, including all of the other mechanisms by which players uh, go through, be it Europe, be it college, be it high school, wherever, especially with the one and done uh, leaving us and going back to kids being able to enter out of high school. That's some, breaking news. Somewhere in the near future. Um, like, it's, it seems like uh, something that needs to get figured out, and he's kind of a poster child for it. Couldn't agree more. Love seeing Emmanuel Moutier coming through. Uh, always an interesting case study. And, and Lord knows my expectations were so high after reading that, uh, that big board. It's just good to know that. Did I even and, know you in 2015? I don't think so. I don't think so. But I knew but I knew you. No. I was gonna ask you like what you have what you've had going on in your life. Like what have you seen any movies recently? But now I'm like, I'm fucking freaked, man. That was just been watching from a distance. Um Little Drummer Girl is fantastic. I'll tell you this the second time in a row. Watch it. Yeah, you told me well, you didn't say that on the podcast last time. You said it after. So we always talk for just about the same amount of time after the podcast. We really do. It's really good. You should watch it on television. Give give a pitch. Tell tell the people what it's about. Come on, man. If you like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, if you like slow burn spy dramas set in England in the 1970s, this is your shit. Uh, That's me, by the way. Yeah, six episodes long, uh, engaging throughout it. There's there's really not a dull moment. Uh, A couple of twists and turns that aren't like corny, but good jaw droppers uh, and some very good looking people all in all. Michael Shannon in particular in this one, uh, it, it, the acting is out is just obscene. It's obscenely good. And Michael Shannon is like out of this world. Good. Um, so highly recommend little drummer girl. I think it's on AMC and BBC America, one or the other, uh, but you know, we're in the year 2019 sooner rather than later. You can find it. I went to see uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse this weekend. I heard very good things. It is very fun. Um, It's not like, like it has like a 97 or something on Rotten Tomatoes. It might not be that, but like, it's just a really fun, like really silly, really enjoyable movie. Um, No regrets. The the post-credits scene is amazing. Okay. I'm looking forward to seeing it. That is something that I am going to do. The post credit scene is the most internet scene I've ever seen in a movie. Ooh, it is extremely online. It is extremely online. As we are getting further and further offline, uh, yeah. which, by the way, I do think that in like five years, so most of my time coming back from South America, uh, I just downloaded a bunch of stuff to my pocket and was reading it. Most of the stuff that I find generally interesting is like tech stuff. So there's a lot of sports stuff, a lot of long reads that I hadn't read, some ProPublica crap and all that nonsense. but. Um, being in the Bay Area, I'm surrounded by tech. My, my girlfriend works in tech. It, it, I, I don't know really anything about it. So I try to stay up on the day-to-day as, as mm-hmm. best I can, just so I understand the economy of the area that I'm living in and is solely crushing my soul. Um, it is fascinating to me. Like, do you think Facebook will exist in five years? It's a good question. Um, not in this iteration, but yes. Yeah. I mean, that is crazy to me. If you were to ask someone two years ago if that was possible, they would have laughed you out of the room. And 
it's just very funny. I, I feel like we're all, I feel like there's a reckoning coming for online to a certain degree, or at least social media. And um, I read that, uh, that Senate reporter, at least the, uh, the cliff notes, because again, I'm young and couldn't possibly be asked to read the entire thing of anything, but uh, uh, fascinating. Well, to be fair, the Senate like couldn't, is old and couldn't be bothered to like learn anything about tech before asking people <laughs> questions. So, it, was, uh, it, was, it was quite something, but the report on the Russian interference uh, was even more enlightening. It was a lot of stuff that we already knew, but it was even more enlightening to the effect of like uh, how Instagram was used, how Facebook was used, certainly how Twitter was used. And um, I just feel like we, uh, we, we all need to take a, a good one year detox from it all and see where we're at on the other side because uh, shit's a mess. Sorry for being a bummer. Sorry. This, this is the section where we talk about things that we like. I like living a life without social media. No, we uh, like. <laughs> I'm going to tweet out the uh, the Malika Andrews story if you want to read it. Uh, yes. I probably put it on. <laughs> I'm going to do, uh, do it. It's a it's a delight. I highly recommend it. Read more articles. Read less tweets. That's my uh, that's my that's my thing. I like this week. Thing and I like forever. this week is the same thing I like every week. It's my dog. My dog is sitting on the table, staring back at me. Uh, she hit her head earlier today on the table. Oh. Outside, Ooh, sorry to hear so that. She like jumped up immediately and was like, "Dad, help!" Um, yeah. Very small dog, very funny dog. Um, hopefully, she's okay. I think she's fine. We'll figure it out in a few days. We'll figure it out soon. Uh, this has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember to rate has review it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Android, whatever podcasting app you use to listen to this. Uh, what do I, I use? I use Pocket Casts. Do you? Yeah, you've told me that before. I'm, I just use Apple Podcasts. I think it's great. Yeah, Apple Podcasts is good. Pocket Casts. I've used Overcast before. I recommend both of those. Yeah, it's it's all it's all very good. There, there. Shout out to podcasting distribution apps. They help us. Um, <laughs> you me? I hazard you. I hazard you real hard. Oh my god! Uh, please remember, leave a rating, leave a review, uh, five stars on Apple Podcasts. Like, don't hold really, me against you. It really, really helps us. Uh, whenever people are just trying to discover the show, it really helps a lot. Uh, that can't be emphasized enough. Uh, we'll be if back. You, if you fuckers made it this far, you de- we deserve a review. No joke. Um, like, <laughs> this, this has been by far my worst episode. <laughs> it was fine up until... Uh, it got real weird at the end, man. I've been having a head cold. I am out of it. This, this got dark fast. I am so sorry, America. Um, we'll be back <laughs> later this week. We'll do draft stuff. We will uh, probably talk to Tony Jones maybe before Christmas, maybe right after Christmas. But until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.